Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome to this week's episode of The Flow Line. We're back here in the studio. Matt, how are you doing today? Not too bad. How are you, Justin? I'm doing just great. Just great. Before we get going, I just want to ask all the listeners, if you'd like to support the show, please do us a huge favor and leave a review. And also, if you could, uh, just, yeah, leave us a five-star review. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated, good or bad. If you have a story for a show uh, or if you have any insight, questions, hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. Um, which actually, this is one of the reasons why we're doing uh, the topic we are today is through one of the uh, faithful listeners asked us a little bit about MMH. And, and Matt, I think you were, you had either spoke to them or uh, you're familiar with the, the, the question. So why don't you go ahead and tell, uh, tell the listeners? Well, I got a message on LinkedIn and uh, normally I'm sort of surprised. Someone said, hey, I was reading a paper that uh, y'all had put out about uh, mixed metal hydroxide systems. And I was just kind of curious how you used it. Um, and I may be even summarizing that poorly, but hopefully we answer the nature of the question. And if not, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to address it Perfect. Um, on the flip side. But uh, anyways, we did this paper, SPE 189628, uh, and if you ever wanted to go look it up. So we're, we're just going to kind of take you through it um, and hopefully answer those questions. Sounds great. Well, uh, well, let's, I mean, start with, you know, what is MMH, a.k.a. mixed metal hydroxide? So mixed metal hydroxide is, it just has a really interesting rheological profile. So just for a little bit of background, this stuff's been around since like the 80s. It's, it's not new technology. But what's, what's fascinating about it is you basically have this electrostatic interaction that creates your viscosity. So you have your um, uh, untreated bentonite. Uh, it's got you know, different charge surfaces. Um, you, you have these positively charged crystals. And if you think of clay platelets, think of like a bird's nest that forms, hmm. these weak interactions. Well, so what happens is the fluid is really, really thick um, when static, but that network is weak enough that when you kick on the pumps, it breaks down rapidly. And so I get this really cool rheological profile where I could have, let's say, a 6 and 3 RPM reading in the 20s, but my plastic viscosity is like 5. Hmm. Um, you get the, these really really interesting profiles um, that can actually do a lot for you um, with respect to having a really high rheology without having those really high pump pressures. Gotcha. So, so why is that beneficial to us in the drilling fluids world? So, uh, you know, I think um, there's a number of different ways we can use that. Um, you know, we talk about hole cleaning and really we want turbulence and, and that sort of thing. And that's true. So normally we want thinner fluids. But think about something like milling out a casing window, right? Um, turbulence is not going to carry out that bird's nest of very heavy uh, casing shavings, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, let's say I do have um, you know, a really large hole size that I'm trying to drill and I want to get the hole clean and I don't yeah. have the annular velocity. Um, so you get really good suspension. And the other thing is lost circulation. We know thicker fluid is much slower at invading into the formation. And if you think about this stuff, 
it it gets thin under shear. Well, if it enters into a fracture, there's no shear that it's going to feel from the pump pressure, so it thickens up. Um, so those are those are some of the key uses or, or benefits that we see when we use an MMH type system. Right, and and just kind of kind of going back in the memory bank, back when I was at CES, I think a lot of uh, some of the areas where this was deployed. Uh, maybe originally, uh, or at least it, it had a good case for it, was when uh, drilling large surface holes where you have a lot of gravel, a lot of like just big cuttings, unconsolidation was was extremely. And, and literally on surface, we would have a frack tank farm on location uh, just to keep up with volumes. And and once they kind of mastered this this type of technology, it significantly reduced issues on surface. So. Uh, it, it's exactly kind of what you speak of. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's important to be aware of the fact that this system is out there. Um, it's it's a tool in the toolbox that I think people overlook, just because it doesn't get run all the time, and there's there's good reason for that too. Right. Uh, but uh, there are some wells that we've like we have customers tell us we would not have been able to set surface casing, and the, therefore not been able to drill in this area. Um, without a system like this, because their losses were so catastrophic, they couldn't get any returns. They couldn't get any cement and set up a shoe or, or get a you know cover a water bearing zone. Right. Um, and so it's important to remember that this is out there for sure. So what would you say some of the limitations are with something like this? I mean, I think there there's kind of two things to think about. One is the reason that MMH struggled to take off was that it doesn't tolerate some contaminants very well. Um, and when it fails, it fails catastrophically. <laughs> so, um, you know, you drill through a coal seam or whatever, the fluid just falls apart. Right. Um, and because of that, uh, you can just imagine on a rig, that ha- only has to happen once, and people are like, we will never use this system again. <laughs> um, and so... Granted, some of the technology has evolved, and, and like our, our system, Enerseal, actually can tolerate some of those contaminants better, but you still have anybody with experience back then being like, hold on, I've heard this story before. Um, and so that's, that's part of it, definitely. Um, and the systems are, you know, our system definitely holds up a lot better than, than those things of the past. But the other part of it, I think, is, is operational. Um, this mud runs a little different. And because of that, you kind of have to be ready for um, handling a system where everybody's sort of thrown off. They look at the rheology on the mud report. My gosh, what's going on? Or uh, just things like that where everybody's sort of got to be on board for something a little different. Yeah, there's a huge learning curve. And I know just through talking, uh, I personally haven't ran it. uh, But uh, just knowing a lot of folks in our office that have, it really takes a mindset shift, um, not only from the office standpoint. Um, but in the field especially, is is because it, it literally looks like when you're drilling with a water-based mud and you drill through cement and things just lock up. Like the pits look like pudding, um, but then it looks like creek water going over the shakers. And that's that, you know, uh, uh, fragile gel strength uh, chemistry stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but but again, it, it's really educating the rig um, to be able to, you know, not panic when things are going awry um, and then things like pump pressure, ECD. So it, it's a lot of it is just communicating some of the differences. And because we're so used to, uh, you know, our conventional oil-based and water-based muds and everyone kind of has an idea of how they act and react to different conditions, 
this is everything you know about mud. You kind of have to throw out the window. Uh, so that that part of it, from what I understand, uh, is extremely challenging unless you have, you know, especially from the operator standpoint, have set the culture and and made sure to kind of like pre warn everybody. Like you need to have an open mind and then some when when you're applying this this in the field. So that that can present some certain some challenges to say the least. Yeah, you know, and and that's that customer buy in thing where like. When we have a customer that's being introduced to it, we're, we're pretty aggressive in being like, all right, if you want this to succeed, the following things have to happen. Yeah. Um, and it's it's normally, most people are okay with that, but then you get to the rig and something's different and it's the middle of the night. Um, and like I said, these, if the system falls on its face or there's some complication um, and it's not, okay, we're all on board and we understand we're going to do things a little different, um, it can be a problem. But the flip side of it is, um, this is a very useful tool when run properly and, and with the right understanding, um, it's, it's a good system, especially when you encounter a ton of losses, which is something we hear about all the time. Well, for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, currently, uh, where does this application serve purpose? So, um, you know, the, the, the main thing that we see is in those high loss zones. Uh, you know, the, the paper itself um, focuses on the Delaware Basin. Um, and there are actually two elements that you had the benefit of. And, and this probably sounds like a broken record if you've listened to all of our episodes for long enough. But before there was direct emulsion, um, MMH was one of the ways to eliminate casing string, was, was to, to use interseal. And, and the trick wasn't um, to run a saturated salt system or anything like that. What you would do is you would keep the mud weight down, you'd drill out the salt, but because the fluid was so thixotropic, it was so... Uh, thick away from shear zones near the well war wall, there was no turbulence or little turbulence. So you wouldn't wash out the salt um, and, and, and that way you could drill through it without extra washout. And then you get down below into the cherry brushy canyon areas where you have a weak zone and you actually get a couple of points on your mud weight window because of the nature of the system. Um, and so it kind of bought you a bigger ECD window but it also inhibited some of that washout. Um, and so, uh, you know, the first probably a couple hundred wells uh, where, where we went from what we call the four-string to the three-string design uh, centered around this. So <clears throat> in knowing that, I mean, what were some of the lessons that we learned from running it? And, and I mean, is there anything that, uh, you know, because like I said, like through evolution uh, of kind of drilling within the Delaware Basin, a lot of folks have steered towards direct emulsion and, and maybe it's a function of commodity prices. I mean, diesel is relatively cheap. So, um, you know, but, but what, what are some of the biggest lessons learned if, if anyone out there is either running it or, or is about to, or, you know, th- can you shine some light on that? Um, I mean, I think it's, it's, you got to stay on your game. Um, everybody's pretty busy. Uh, I think part of the reason direct emulsion displaced so many of those applications um, is simply because it's easier to run. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, it's, it's closer to the bron- cut brine, conventional mud. So it was, it was easy to embrace. Gotcha. Um, but I, I still think, you know, in those high loss zones, especially at surface, you know, a system like Interseal is, is well worth considering. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I think some of the funnier lessons learned were, uh, kind of the things they switched over and, um, just all the junk that was getting circulated back into the well, because, before you'd have all this garbage that would sit in the pits. Well, 
MMH could carry all that stuff. And so it would get sucked into the pumps and then plug a tool or that kind of thing. So even even little things like that where somebody throws some trash and thinks, ah, I just fall to the bottom of the pit. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, how important is Saul's control with this type of system? And how do centrifuges and stuff react to this type of stuff? So I, I think you were describing a little bit earlier where Saul's control is pretty pretty friendly to it just by way of it's so thick and then under shear it thins out um so you can be you'd still be pretty aggressive with solids control and and that sort of thing um you know one of the one of the challenges maintaining mud weight when you're drilling through salt though is you have salt cutting so even if you've inhibited turbulence you have salt in your system so you want to get out those salt crystals before they go into solution makes um, sense which which required more dilution than what we see with a direct emulsion i gotcha well, Matt, obviously this system, and I've actually heard people refer to it as like a, a lost circulation fluid. Uh, so talk a little bit about our, our, what our experience is through, you know, high loss zones and what this system was actually able to do for us. So, I, I mean, it's, it's been amazing, especially there are certain like riverbed areas where you've got, it's exactly like you were describing up in the, up with the CES applications. Yeah. Where it's just like, could not get returns, nothing. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, we have that concept of the fluid you know, finding its way into the fracture and then sort of thickening up um, away from that shear zone. But it was even better, too, at conveying lost circulation material into the thief zone. So think of a really large fracture. I may not actually get that, that lost circulation material to kind of set up as it's being lost, um, or it's, the fracture's so big that there's not enough time. Um, but this stuff carries kind of everything. Mm. So um, a combination of, lo- of our lost treatments with uh, the MMH made a big difference. Um, so it was, it certainly inhibits losses and expands your mud weight window with a little bit of LCM. Um, it's very easy to place and it makes a big, big difference. Right. What, uh, what can the listeners expect if, if they hear of a system being around like this, some of the the properties and I, by that i mean you know yield point low ends you kind of mentioned but what would be like a typical you know funnel viscosity low end and yield point or something like this oh gosh uh, funnel viscosity i honestly probably wouldn't be the one to tell you but i mean it would, it would be well over 100 right yeah. it's the stuff's yeah and like you said it looks like pudding right um, you know we have videos and it just it just sits there and there's youtube videos of of this where we're you know, someone throws the crystals on and all of a sudden the, the fluid thickens up. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, you know, just to kind of add to that. Yeah. You, a lot of times you can barely even take funnel viscosity because it's so thick, but yeah, I mean, yield points well above 20, uh, you know, low ends could even range up around there. Um, but you know, we did, uh, up in Fort St. John. So we slowly started using this application in the HDD world. And, um, one of the gentlemen up in C- at CES is very well versed in, in, in talking about it and, and, and identifying, uh, this application for different purposes. And we did a presentation and he had a bucket with, uh, you know, a certain concentration of MMH and like a gel <clears throat> slurry system. And he was able to drop like a wrench and literally it would, the, the wrench, it was just a small wrench, but he, mm-hmm. he could drop it and it would, wouldn't even hit the bottom. It would kind of sit there. And they kind of just slowly, like it would hit it and then kind of slowly seep into it and then stop. And so half the wrench was sticking out and it was neat because he would throw nuts and bolts and golf balls and things like even like a thick, like 
40 or 50 pounds per barrel gel, just a normal gel slurry. Um, you would shake it up and all those things would be rattling around and then you'd let it settle and all this, like the, the bolts and the nuts and everything would just fall. But what was neat is he would shake up this example of MMH and everything would be suspended. Like it wouldn't even fall. And so it was neat. Yeah. And then you could really then wrap your head around the carrying capacity of this fluid. And I think that's what's really interesting about it. Sure. I mean, I'm looking at, so this is a contaminant in the paper. We have a contaminated system versus our system receiving the same contamination, but holding up. And it's got a plastic viscosity of, I, I don't know. I mean, re, I'm reading a bar graph here. So it looks like six or seven and a yield point of what looks like about 38 uh, with a six RPM reading of something like 14. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. You know, so it's, uh, it, it's, it, it is kind of a crazy thing to see. And it is, like, I'm still not used to it. Like if you see it over some pits or something, you're still kind of double taking. Um, <laughs> But it it is just a very interesting rheological profile, um, and you know that's that's kind of that. I mean, that's what it's known for. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those like any of those things that are kind of interesting. Normally, they can be a little fragile. I think overcoming some of that fragility is, I think, what helped AES get Interseal out. Right. Um, but. Uh, it still requires some attention and, and you need to know what you're doing. Um, and I think it's got a time and a place. So I, I think it's a good, we're, we're, I'm glad somebody asked just because I think this is a tool in the toolbox where you may have a problem. You haven't heard of this stuff in a long time. You say, well, maybe, maybe we ought to take a look at it at uh, an MMH system. Right. So, well, one of the, and one last question I have, and I think hopefully we've covered everything for the listener, but what's the difference between MMO and MMH? You know, that's actually a, a question that I have, um, I am probably not the best person to answer because um, I'm trying to remember and you've put me on the spot here. Um, so I know MMO uh, was offered after MMH uh, with uh, the idea that they would, they could tolerate like divalent ions a little bit better. Gotcha. Um, but this is the problem. Like I'm an engineer, not a chemist. And so I have to go memorize why, as opposed to a chemist being like, well, you think about it. Right. Um, so, but from what I understand, they, they react very similar. And then again, yeah. I just, I, I've heard the term MMO, MMH. And, and so uh, again, it just kind of popped into my head. Didn't mean to throw you on the spot there, but it's all right. You know what? Every once in a while, I should be able to be comfortable saying, I don't know. Hey, and, um, and if someone is interested out there, email us and we can get you a great answer because we have the resources. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, it's just flipping open a book and reminding myself because I have been through this before. But right. um, yeah, most of the time, if, if you're a customer out there or anybody else, you're like, wow, Matt sounds really smart. It's like, it's because I ran, I ran went and read something <laughs> or looked it up and then wrote it up like, I just, oh, off the top of my head. Uh, some of this stuff requires a little bit of homework. Hey, right. We can't know it all. Well, uh, hopefully we answered the questions out there. Matt, you got any closing last words? No. I, um, if anybody has any follow-up questions or, or any stories about working with it themselves, love to hear them. And uh, thanks for asking the question. I know, I know there are a couple of more. We have some episodes to follow to uh, answer all of our listeners' questions. So thank you for all the ideas. Perfect. Keep them coming. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. 
The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.